Welcome to season three. Welcome to season three of this most unbelievable podcast. We're doing it, Paul. We're doing it, Sherry, and here we are again. Here we are again. So when we started season one, we had no plan. We just explored topics as they came up. And for season two, we made a plan. How do experiences go through the mind, the body, and the heart? Now we go into season three. Do we have a plan? Well, a couple of topics keep coming up. Yeah, so what reoccurring theme do you see, Paul? I see the topic of connection coming up a lot. What do you see, Sherry? Definitely connection, and also persistence. Uh, Connection and persistence. These are pretty big themes, Paul. These are pretty big themes, Sherry, and we'll do our best to cover them well here in Season 3. And we thank you, dear listeners, for joining us as we explore these topics. If you like what you hear and you want to support us, please visit the website and click on the donate button to support us on Patreon. You can also check out our website where you can learn more about the workshops and events we have coming up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now on with the show. Hello, Sherry. Hello, Paul. How are you doing today? Oh, we're going to sing the whole episode? Is that? Not the whole thing. Uh, I think I just had to get it out of my system. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I hope you didn't get it out of your system because as a result of what you told me is the topic for today, I'm wondering if you know the right song that you're supposed to sing based upon this topic. Uh, it's the Stevie Wonder situation, isn't it? Ooh, that's not what I would have went with. Okay, cool. Uh, what 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 song am I? Well, song tell I me thinking? which which Stevie Wonder are you thinking? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> well, it's like one of those things. Like you're obviously wrong. Please clarify your answer. It's like no, I'm obviously wrong. I'm not going to clarify my answer. You should be wrong with authority, <laughs> right? Isn't that what you tell your don't own use students? my don't use my advice against me. Ah, right? oh, come yeah. on, that's what I'm best at. Where would that leave me? Now? I was thinking of a Chicago song. You're the inspiration. You bring meaning to my life. You're the inspiration yeah how does that go from there you gotta near me i want to be the one to i don't know this lyrics after this point that's okay i purposely didn't tell you that i was going to ask you i was going to put you on the spot with that the register of that song is a little higher than my range tends to go so that was never although the era is right for the music that i know it was never within my range of like shower songs or anything mm. like that. So it didn't get it didn't get it didn't get a lot of play in the shower. I think you're just at a disadvantage because you're singing it on a Wednesday afternoon. Right? Like your voice has just done so much hard labor. Yeah. That you're just not primed for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've been talking a lot this week to a lot of my students, and so so have yeah. you, so have you. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. So, so I'm maybe... just saying try it out tomorrow morning in the shower and I bet you'll do great. I'll have to look up the lyrics and give yeah. myself a little bit of a refresher. Yeah, you can my send wife me a is recording. Gonna, yeah, my wife is going to be saying, why are you listening to so much Chicago tonight? Like, <laughs> uh, you know, podcast, what are you going to do? I'm studying. It's for you. Sherry it's, gave me homework. It's, it's for you, our listener, right? Uh, you get to enjoy me singing Chicago. Next week, um, I'll give it a proper a proper go. But uh, yeah, cool. Inspiration. By, 
Next week, though, I'll probably want you to sing some other city-named band. So we'll move on to Boston. Oh, I can do a lot of that. That is, well, some of it is in my register. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you singing in the shower, listeners? Right? Uh, what, what's your... Uh, What's your jam? I got to say, um, the music that I sing in the shower is not necessarily the music that I listen to. And the only reason I keep bringing up the shower thing is because everything sounds great when you sing it in the shower. The acoustics are good. The acoustics are good. Uh, you, your voice resonates more than it would. Air supply is good in the shower, <laughs> in the shower for some reason. You know, uh, better than in the car, that's for sure. That's A couple of things. Uh, Leonard Cohen's good in the shower. I have specific shower tunes. So, like, I'll tell, like, we have Sonos throughout our condo. And uh-huh. so I will tell my husband, like, put on some shower tunes. And he knows exactly what I mean. Because uh, usually I listen to Robin's album, Body Talk. Mm-hmm. In the shower, it's a mm-hmm. perfect shower album um, for me. I also listen to Liz Fair's self title. Uh, it's good for a shower. Uh, I listen to Charlie Bliss in the shower. I listen to a lot of ladies in the shower. Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh, that's a good shower, too. Mm-hmm. Something about it, it works. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam, everything from Pearl Jam is good in the shower. That feels right. Uh, yeah, Pat Benatar is yeah. also quite good in the shower. Mm-hmm. I haven't tried like Journey or Night Ranger or anything like that. I've done a lot of The Police. I'll give it a shot. In the shower. Yeah. I have as well. That works well. Mm-hmm. That works mm-hmm. well. That's good. Good shower. Shower tunes. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see what our listeners think about what good shower songs would be. We'd love to hear what you, what you think. Yeah. We need a shower playlist. Indeed. Oh, you know who else? Is good for the shower. Who? Who? Shaggy. Oh, uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done some Snoop in the shower before. Mm-hmm. I've, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, I've done some Snoop in the shower before. Uh, because I was inspired to do so. <laughs> Look what you did there. Well, I was going to ask you, why do we need good music in the shower? Oh, I don't know. Uh, this... Um, when I, when I say that, that usually means I know exactly why, um, but I'm being coy. Um, the first thing that I thought when you asked that question about why we need good shower music, um, I think about some of the more creative things I've done in my life, uh, usually related to academic stuff. Like mm-hmm. graduate school, what is going to be the topic of my dissertation? What do I need to do to this chapter to make it good and fix? How do I revise this manuscript to get it published? How do I you know, structure this talk, right? Some really academic stuff. I always came up with my best ideas that actually stuck, that worked in two situations. One of which was on a run. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about getting out, moving your body, getting some oxygen in, breathing a little bit, getting your heart rate up. Did seem to stimulate a little bit of creativity with me and a little bit of clarity Mm -hmm. um for a variety of interesting reasons i think that might be and the shower i came up with a second chapter of my dissertation all the whole thing came to me at once in a flash in a flash this is almost pentecostal um Mm -hmm. in the shower in in the shower and 
you know, when I was in, in graduate school. And it's like, that's it. And it's like, this is what the question is. These are the hypotheses. This is the method. This is the analysis you're going to run. This is how you're going to collect the data. I suspect this is what I'm going to find. But this is a hypothesis that we're going to test. This is how this chapter is. I mean, the whole thing came to me all at once as if in a dream. Mm. And uh, get out of the shower and you get to work. And it's like, well. Here we go. Um, so a lot of creativity comes to me in the shower. I don't know if how singing sort of plays into that, but it is a, I think I, I sing a lot, as my students know, and as you probably know, and as some of my friends probably know, if you know me, um, there's always some song cooking up there in one way or another. It's really just a question of whether or not it comes out. Mm-hmm. And sure, you had said that you can tell when I'm going through a funk because I don't sing as much or talk about music as much. Yeah, I think this is all sort of related to me, but um, it's a rare day in the shower that some... Some song doesn't get uh, uh, presented to the residents of my condo. So I have a question. So do you, it sounds like then, you don't actually play music in the shower. You no. just provide the music. No, I don't. It's rare. It's rare for me to play anything in the shower. Yeah, I provide that a little bit. And I, maybe that's just part of it. I mean, you're doing this thing. It's a little bit rote. Um I think I think every shower I take is the exact same shower down to like the second. So my songs have to be four minutes or less, you know. To <laughs> I just like to find opportunities to shove that knife in a little bit and twist it. Because um, uh, I just use one bar of soap for everything and it works. You're going to um, be like us. We need to get that as the uh, the advertisement for this podcast. That is podcast. Dr. Bronner's Bar Soap, right? Dr. Bronner, if you're listening, please support us at- www.thismostunbelievablelife.com um but uh yeah 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 i don't know but um i think i think my wife would say singing happens more often than it doesn't in the shower for i don't know if it's every time but it's a lot and Hmm. it's uh the doors Mm are good you know jim morrison does the shower well maybe it's crooners Mm -hmm. i don't know so sting i don't know if you'd call sting a crooner but a lot of those police songs were a little bit croony. Interesting. Don't stand so close to me. You know, and that's sort of the refrain that everybody knows, but the rest of it is almost spoken word. Yeah, that's true. Um, I tend to like anthemic music in the shower. Um, but it's very rare. It's so funny because I think I sometimes sing in front of you. Um, but I very rarely sing in front of most humans. In fact, one of my very good friends for like a long time, he kind of made like he would try to bait me into singing for him. And that was part of why I wouldn't. Um, so I, I withheld it and I accidentally sung in front of him. It might have been his birthday this year. Mm. back in may i think that's when it might have been but yeah so normally like i am super close to the chest with my own singing um because i've always thought that i have a horrible voice um which is a whole different subject uh but i do listen to me like i don't feel like i can take a silent shower that feels sad and wrong why would you even bother to take a shower if it was going to be silent right yeah no it's not worth it unless you sing yeah. Well, I don't always to me, sing. To me, to me, I have to speak. I can only speak for myself. But I need music for sure, especially because, um, <clears throat> yeah, I take a little longer than Paul's four-minute shower. 
our listeners are like, we're so sick of hearing about how long Paul's shower is. Uh, but I'm sorry, y'all. I'm bitter. Um, maybe I should just cut my hair and then I'll have shorter I'm getting Yeah, I'm getting close to the number of things I can actually cut out of the shower at this point. Because <laughs> it was like, do I really need that? Do I really need to do this? And I, I will say... Uh, uh, it's been uh, it, it's it's I think it's about as efficient as it can be. But. Yeah. See, I don't want my shower to be efficient. I think um, maybe it's just because of how I think about showering. But like, it's a sacred time. And oh, for sure. I think that, you're right. Is that Good why ideas we sing in it, come out of showering. Is that why uh, we sing in, in the shower though? Because it is a <laughs> sacred time, and we use it for sacred things. Right, and we sing as part of a sacred ritual, right? Which has been done for thousands, tens of thousands. It's true. That's true. Fifties um, of thousand years. Yeah, but I think the ritualistic I do, stuff. Showers help. I don't know if I come up with my best ideas in the shower. I actually think I come up with my best ideas in the middle of the night. Um, so a lot of times I'll get woken up in the middle of the night. And I won't exactly know what's woken me up, but my brain is up to something. And usually that's when I sit down and I just let myself write. Hmm. And a lot of times I don't know it when I wake up, but the reason I'm awake is because something's moving through. I don't think I have that experience with (laughs) with that. Yeah, for me, it's always stuff related to movement. It's either running... You know, taking a shower. Well, and that's one of the reasons I think you and I are different in that you have that don't trust what you think of in the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like my head is taking me to some funky places in in the middle of the night. That It's like there's nothing here for me. Yeah. There's nothing here for me. One is best best left unconscious in the middle of the night has been my my lesson. Interesting. My brain isn't going to do anything that's interesting. That is, well, I can't say informative because it's super informative when it does that. Um, but it's like, it's not creativity hmm. that it is spinning up. Yeah. I don't know. A lot of times, maybe not if I wake up in the middle of the night, but definitely like first thing in the morning, if I wake up like an hour before I'm supposed to be up, it's because my brain is ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Yeah. And so I'll find, and that's always been like, uh, I'll get up in the middle of the night and sometimes Eric will be like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to write. And he'll be like, okay. And he knows what's up with that. And he just lets it happen. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, of the so things we is... could wake up and do in the middle of the night, that's pretty vanilla. You know, it's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, cool. Awesome. You know, that's a pretty low risk activity or waking yeah. up and doing something in the middle of the night. That's for sure. Well, I think he also, he knows that, with my writing process, like when when inspiration hits, it's not always predictable, but it's all. But I do well to always respect it. Yeah, I was going to say he also married a rhetorician, so he sort of has it had it coming. Yeah, sort of had it coming. So it's true. Yeah, sort of the that's sort of the the deal you make. Yeah, I mean the nice thing is I've gotten better at allowing my that process to be solo and to be a a written and not a verbal process because it mm. used to be I would get something in the middle of the night that would wake me up and I would first try it out on him and then I would write it that's not gonna <laughs> I, I don't see that going to places that uh, 
I mean, he's he has the patience of a saint, and he loves me more than anything. Yeah. But yeah, it's not a kindness to my dear husband. I do better early morning. Yeah. You know, once I'm once I'm up and moving around, right, I can get some pretty good stuff out. Yeah. Um, once the sun starts to, my creativity pretty much follows follows the the solar cycles. I mm-hmm. think. Interesting. I think mine's starting to get more predictable now because I think I think part of doing like the artist way over the summer, even to some extent, I think my meditation practice has changed my relationship to my own creativity um, to where moments of inspiration are not so rare that I have to like drop everything and come to it. It can be more... I can almost trick it into happening more often now. Mm. So wow, a sh- what a yeah, what a what a ha- I don't I don't I don't want to call it a hack, you know, because um, I don't want to give people the impression that you can like hack creativity um, or inspiration. But it does seem to happen in predict at predictable times, right? Mm-hmm. If not necessarily with foresight, definitely with hindsight. Well. So what's interesting for me, and I don't, maybe it's true for other people. Well, maybe it probably is. Like you think about people, how many creative types do you know that have a meditation practice, right? Um, if we think about the fact that what happens in a shower oftentimes is a often a pretty mindful activity in a lot of ways. It is. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It's like um, you're finally paying attention. Yeah, so I think inspiration, people tend to talk about how it shows up in the shower on long drives in the middle of the night during meditation. All of these activities have things in common. Yeah, you can't really run from yourself. Mm -hmm. And these are sort of forced to confront a little bit. I mean, there are some uh, world-renowned, you know, century-ago old-school chemists that used to talk about this. You know, they they would, I mean, Einstein would do this. Mm-hmm. It's like he would he would walk the streets for four or five hours a day and just, like, think about stuff. I mean, he came up, you know, Einstein came up with relativity, walking the streets of wherever, you know. Yeah. Or what, I don't know if it was Copenhagen or, or wherever he was at the time, you know. But there's something about the... I don't know. I mean, it, there there are certain behaviors and activities you can do, I think, mm-hmm. that make it more likely for creative things to happen. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a button you can press. I mean, you're not saying, I'm going to be creative now. But people do have that practice. Um, who is that? Who is it? Who am I thinking of? Um, I'm thinking of uh, James Altucher. Mm. That... Uh, he says, I don't know if he still does this or not. He hasn't talked about it in a while, but he has like a waiter's pad, like one of those waiter pads that you have that, that waiters have in the, in the restaurant to write down who gets what and where they get it. And uh, he says he just carries that around for good ideas. But that's also related to like a practice he has where every day he writes down 10 new ideas for a business that he could start right now th- that he just wants to like every day. Give me 10 ideas mm-hmm. of a business you could start. And he says one out of 5,000 of them or something is actually something that he would actually seriously do. But what that has resulted in is this daily habit of trying to think in creative ways. 
Mm-hmm. And most of them are junk. Most of them you just pitch and it's like, that can never be the way, you know? But, you know, whether or not they actually do get leveraged into a business is beside the point. What it does is it puts your brain through these mental exercises of creativity, creative thinking, um, where are you now, what the nature of the business is or is a reflection of what's inspiring you right now. Um, and it's, 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 you know, he, he would argue that it is actually a practice you can cultivate that do that does increase the odds of something creative happening and that does actually shift your mind in the direction of 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 being creating creative and inspired as as an expectation as as a part of the daily not necessarily as an accident that happens mm-hmm. well i mean i think so that idea of writing down like 10 things i think part of what's happening within that is this openness to kind of ask questions and to always be sort of like, you know, it's just this open curiosity of like, well, what would happen if I wrote down 10 business ideas every day? Nothing. It's uh, cool. Yeah. It's like, there's no risk. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it reminds me, um, a mutual friend of ours last year, she decided to participate in this thing that I think a lot of artists have done, which is called like a hundred rejections. And so mm-hmm. the ex- the exploration mm-hmm. is, what would happen to your creativity if you just aimed not to, you know, market a hundred pieces of your artwork, whatever your art looks like, uh, but what would happen if you just aimed for a hundred rejections? Um, and then all of a sudden, like when your goal is failure, you start getting overwhelmed with success. Yeah, 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 yeah. In, in, instead of being focused on the one interview you got, right, you're focused on all the, as, as the win, as the... And if you use, you didn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of, I don't know. I think, I think questions are also a really fun place to go to, to have new ideas just in general. Like uh, one of the sort of hacks that I think I figured out as an undergrad English major is that the easiest way to come up with an interesting idea is to take two things that don't look like they belong together and try to convince your audience that they do. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, because it's synthesis, right? Um, Synthesis is such a under-discussed but super vital skill, and we love it. Like, why are Reese's peanut butter cups so amazing? Because somebody was like, hey, what would happen if we took chocolate, which we love? I've got, I I know the narrative of this, right? Because there was that commercial. It's like, you got your chocolate in my peanut butter. You got your peanut butter on my chocolate. What? And what came out of that? Deliciousness. Deliciousness. Right? Yeah. I mean, and even like my dissertation topic is just like, well, I'm really interested in rhetoric and the rhetoric of outsiders. I'm really interested in music and I'm really interested in art. How can I jam these three things together? Sure. Ta-da! Ta-da! Yeah. Um, yeah. So creativity can be. Well, a lot of people, I think, who are known to be creative would would say this. It's it's not an accident. It it's not an accident. Um, people who tend to have this reputation of being very creative put shocking amounts of work, and time, and effort, and you know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours and mm-hmm. Miles Davis, who I talk about 
frequently and not always on the podcast um, would say this, you know, how do you be this great creative improvisational jazz player with a trumpet and do this groundbreaking stuff? It's like you go to freaking Juilliard and you learn music theory <laughs> 101, you know, you get get really good at twinkle, twinkle, little star. And then we'll talk about improv. If you, mm-hmm. once you do that, right. Um, creativity comes not out of uh, the abyss from places where, where no one has, has gone. It comes from a dedication and a discipline and an inspiration to, to do things the best they can be done. And, and mm-hmm. more often than not, I think that's where creativity comes from. Johnny Ive, um, who designed the the iMac, you know, the app, the, the designer at Apple for years. I mean, nobody works harder than Johnny Ive at coming up with design elements. He field tested these things. I mean, he he took the opinions of everyone. He's a smart guy. Don't get me wrong. But it, it's not that he was like, oh, I'm going to do this revolutionary thing and just kind of pull this from the ether. Um I think that probably could be said for most creatives out there. It's like what what makes them extraordinary? You recognize them from their creativity. What makes them extraordinary is the shocking amount of work and dedication and discipline they put into what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like, how do you be creative? It's like, what are you going to do? Just kind of sit around and think about complicated things all day? No, it's like there are actually things that you can do. Like get started. Make some mistakes. Fool around with it. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Accept the fact that most things that you do are going to be imperfect if mm-hmm. anybody actually sees them at all. Right. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that I've had to really learn as a writer is one of the things that really stunted my ability to write for a long time was the paranoia of being able of writing something that was awful and having someone see it. And this was particularly uh, vulnerable making, I guess, because like, I can't spell like it is so, so bad. You know, I won the seventh grade spelling bee, but I was stripped of my title. Yes. Uh, for details on that, please see the Faith Made Welcome <laughs> episode that will come out next week. We will not retell that story here as delightful as it is. Uh, here is another thing real. Paul sorry, rubs sh- in my face. Short showers <laughs> and his spelling bee trophy that he didn't even get to keep. Sorry. Back to, back to <clears throat> But yeah, so I'm a really bad speller. So for the longest time, I would not write uh, anything in front of other people, particularly not by hand. Um, And so what this meant is I never took notes in class um, because I was so afraid that the person sitting next to me would see how poorly I wrote and see how poorly I spelled that they would determine that I was stupid. So I would not take any notes at all. So, I mean, you're literally talking about when anyone was in the proxy, your proximity. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So I never took notes. Um, And this stayed with me through uh, my doctoral work. I've probably told you this before. Like um, when it came time for comprehensive exams, like, um, you know, my dissertation chair was like, okay, so pull together all your notes. And I'm like, yeah. So what if I told you I didn't have any? Or or you could just say done. (laughs) Yeah, I could have gone that route. Yeah, Perfect. So, Here you go. Right. Done. Yeah. So it was this weird thing that about myself. So so two things came out of that. One, once I read something, I retain it to memory like 
in a really creepy way. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. You don't have to. Because yeah. I'm not going to write anything down. Right. Um, which is good and bad. Um, I also don't retain any other, like, the amount of things that I can't retain because I'm saving all the stuff because I don't take notes mm-hmm. is sort of shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I... Where was I going with this? I guess part of this is um, just the sort of shocking, the shocking kind of strategies that I would go to to try to develop a sense that I knew what I was doing, I guess. I guess this is imposter syndrome is what I'm talking about, ultimately. Mm. Um, So what has inspired my ultimate, like, coping strategies as an academic ultimately came from this preoccupation with fear of being exposed as a fraud. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the creativity is the mother of invention, right? Or, you know, necessity is the mother or whatever it is, you know, Um, necessity is the mother of invention and you get real creative really quick when you have to, Mm -hmm. you know, and your inspiration is I'm inspired to not be exposed as a total, freaking failure so i right. better get creative right damn now and come up with something good or the jig is up and what what oftentimes happens in that situation is it works you know and that's the that's the terrorize that, that's the horrifying hor- horrifying terrorizing thing is that it's like no it actually does work sometimes when you absolutely must be creative to survive a lot of times you can do it well yeah that's why so do you know who my absolute number one role model was like growing up who Hands down, no one else ever compared to MacGyver. You get you out of a fix, man. But, get you out of a spot. I mean, MacGyver was a genius, right? Like, no matter what the situation, MacGyver would look around the room and he would find a solution. Yeah, you need a heart transplant. Well, we got a cap of a big pen and a spring, a couple of microwave burritos, uh, and... Uh, and an Allen wrench. Apparently, so he's work. at Paul's let's get house. To work. Like, yeah, let's get to work. Um, yeah, I love that show. I love oh, that yeah. show. MacGyver's the best. It was great. Um, but I think part of it has to do with growing up. One, I appreciated MacGyver probably in part because of my dad. And my dad is a very, in terms of creativity and sort of scrappiness, my dad is quite the inspiration. Um, my dad loves to swim, always has. And I remember one of the things that I thought was the most inspired thing he ever did uh, was he basically created an infinity pool um, in our above ground swimming pool in the backyard wow. of my childhood home. Using, uh, Using basic materials okay. that you could find around. So a vacuum cleaner. Well, <laughs> you're joking, but here we go. Okay, so... Right above the pool was a fence. And so what he did is he attached to the fence uh, a flagpole holster, right? And into the flagpole holster, he fixed a fishing rod, right? Okay. And then from the fishing rod, he attached a scuba belt. And so what you did is you got in the pool and you put the scuba belt on and you could swim for days. You could swim for days, you were, yeah. Uh, that's the difference, right? You can either move the water and not move yourself, or you can not move the water and try to move yourself but not go anywhere. 
That's right? Yeah. But who needs a very expensive pool when for four ninety nine? You just need a way to not go anywhere when you try to swim. Yeah. When you try to swim, right? Yeah, exactly. Like that. I mean, that's what I've always kind of appreciated about my dad. He's like, well, what? What's the end goal we're aiming for, and how can we kind of get there? Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I think that's the nature of creativity. Cause, I mean, because one of the cool things about MacGyver uh, was when he DIY'd together uh, a a technological solution, right? Or an innovative solution to a problem using stuff that was around, which was pretty much the show, right, Sherry? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like every every episode. I mean, he did that every episode. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't, I had this fancy, weird, one-off piece of equipment that I had garnished in one way or another that I was finally able to use, a la the stuff that I have laying around my my place here, you know, where it's like, oh, I'm going to use that in a couple of years, just wait. Um, it was everyday stuff. It was everyday stuff that was um, leveraged creatively and assembled creatively or partnered mm-hmm. with something else in a creative way that gave properties. And I mean, the Apollo 13 mission was the, was the, the case study in this in terms of high stakes, I think. You know, um, they DIY'd themselves back to Earth from the far side of the moon. Yeah. During that. I mean, you know, the oxygen scrubber or the CO2 scrubber doesn't fit into the into the place where it goes in the capsule you're in. So how do you make it work? It's like, well, we got some duct tape, <laughs> a, a, a vacuum pipe and uh, some blue paint or who knows what, you know. Right. And yeah. the consequences are you don't live through it, you know, and the successes, you barely make it. So it's like it's time to get creative. What do we have around and what can we do with it in a creative way? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're right. I mean, what you have to what you have to know coming into this is what's the objective? I mean, what is it that you're actually working for? Once you know what the what the destination is, you can find a way to get there. Mm-hmm. And that's what the and that's what the brain does better than anything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, Part of this is just like how I see the world in terms of being a rhetorician. Like I'm always thinking about, well, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? Like everything else serves like, what are we trying to accomplish? But it's interesting, like you mentioned, (laughs) you mentioned like you have all this stuff laying around and you don't know the purpose. I think that's where like you're more like, you are the Batman to my McGuire. uh, McGuire. (laughs) Because it's like, Right? Like, you have all this stuff. And, you know, Batman has all this stuff because he gets all the cool technology. Yeah. He doesn't right. know when he when he's going to use it. But eventually it comes in handy. But then MacGyver is just open to whatever situation and figures, eh, I'll wing it with what I get when I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it works out. I mean, just looking around the room, I have uh, four uh, XLR microphone cables, a spray bottle, a ream of printer paper. Uh, a bicycle pump (laughs) in one corner and it's like who knows we'll come up with something when we need to (laughs) well and maybe that's the thing with MacGyver is he was always successful because there were weirdos like you who just had a bunch of random stuff in a room everywhere he went yeah you never saw him not actually do his thing did you though I mean he always worked something out oh yeah always I think what you never saw is all the experiments that he he tried that didn't turn out the way that he wanted them to. Those didn't get turned into episodes, did they, Sherry? 
did they, Sherry? Because because um, we didn't log, we didn't we didn't tune in to see MacGyver fail at making that thing that got us out of a jam, and we were forced to live with the res, you know result of our actions. I reject your premise that he ever failed. Well, that's what I'm, I'm well, who, I don't It was only on once a week, so the other six six and a half days a week, he was screwing it up. Right? Um, hmm. But that gets back to the thing. I mean, he, he clearly did something in his life. I mean, we're talking about MacGyver like he lives down the street from us. <laughs> we knew him when we were a kid. Um, he, he he surely must have had failures in his life, too, you know. Because uh, you, you watch these shows and it's like you, all you ever see are the wins. You never see the losses. And and so you get this idea that if you start to try something, doing something creative or interesting or inspired – and it doesn't work out the way you thought. It's like, well, clearly this isn't meant for me because all you ever see are the wins. Well, when 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 you when you really get into the weeds of it and start talking to these people and start getting a little more awareness of these ultra creative people, ninety nine point nine percent of their life is them not achieving the thing that is the only part that you see. Laird Hamilton, um, surfboarder extraordinaire, invented you know surfing technology. What is it the 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 surfboard thing that kind of planes you up above the water hmm, sure bit. yeah um you know big wave surfer extraordinaire um he pretty much invented um toe surfing so when he when the waves are so big you get towed out to the wave because you can't actually paddle yourself fast enough to catch up with it so you can actually catch that wave i mean those huge waves that you get sometimes um and and somebody says wow man uh, do you ever fall off of your surfboard and he says man i have fallen off of my board more times more times than you have ever touched the water mm. more times than you would ever even try to get on a board he's fallen off he falls off 99 percent of the time it doesn't work out the way that he wanted it to um and what do you where are those 99 percent of those times while well, they're on the cutting room floor what you see you know is the one percent of the time when he rocks that wave you know for 15 minutes uh that, you know, gets put on the IMAX, but it's like right. he has failed more times than you have even been in the water. Well, and so that kind of points to the, so I think we're talking about two concepts of inspiration at this point, right? Like, so there's where our brains get our ideas. And then there's this idea of like who actually we hold up as inspiration. So what right. inspires us and then who inspires us. And I think that's an important point that like the people we hold up as inspiration a lot of times it's because of the prime time version of them that we get access to yeah yeah for sure it's this whole idea of comparing other people's exterior to your interior yeah yeah so yeah inspiration's interesting though like if i asked you paul who inspires you how would you answer that question oh Boy, well, it depends, Sherry. Who do I want to be? Because um, that's the question, isn't it? You know, who who's doing the thing that I that I admire? Um, who does inspire me? Uh, we love it that people listen to this podcast, but I have to recommend another one as an answer to this. Uh, Rich Roll, right? Mm-hmm. If you, anybody ever listened to the Rich Roll podcast, that's a uh, that's a good one. And, you know, his his successes were a hard one, hard one. And he'll be the first person to tell you he didn't get this way because he was born into it. Um, he hit the ground a lot of times. He mm-hmm. hit he hit bottom a lot of times before he 
before he made it to who he is now and just from hard work and dedication. But I mean, I think who we answer in, in terms of that question tells us who we are and who we, what we see our struggle being. Um, uh, Rich Roll, I know you're not listening, but if you are, awesome. Thanks for listening. Uh, who else? Um, uh, the mentor that I work with has, has a, has a ability to be as present, more present than you can imagine. Right. She has a quality of presence. That is like, wow, she's baked something in. Um, and I, I don't know if that's inspiration or not as so much as mentorship. It's like, wow, whatever she's whatever she's doing, give me some of that because uh, she's doing something that I, I want to cultivate in myself. Well, I don't know if that's the same thing, though, Sherry. I don't know well, if that's the same so thing. So I think you're teasing out the like, what's the difference between inspiration and admiration? Yeah. Like, yeah, that might be more of an ad admiration that might be more of an ad admiration you know rich roll is inspiring um though you know he, he's done you know because I, I i know he's i know his story of being knocked down and getting back up and that is admirable and in so doing it is inspirational mm-hmm. um because i think he's doing a lot of the stuff that uh i i like to see as in myself as well or i hope to cultivate within myself God, who inspires me? I don't know. Um, I I might have to let you try to answer that for a second, and then and then circle back to it while I, while I think about it for for a minute. You know, I, and the most uh, you know, I'm trying I'm trying to escape a depressing conclusion. It's like, wow, maybe nobody actually inspires me. I know people do. Rothko, mm-hmm. Rothko, the painter. Um, I spend hours looking at those paintings in St. Louis, right? Going up in St. Louis and going to the St. Louis Art Museum. They had a, they had a couple of Rothkos. Um, uh, here at the, at the, in, in DC Metro, you know, going to the modern wing of the, the East Wing, mm-hmm. of the Natural History, of the Natural History Museum, of the Art Museum. Um, they got a, a fair number of Rothkos and Jackson Pollock as, as well. You know, when you when you just kind of look at these paintings and it is literally a black square on a red background, <laughs> you know, and it's like I could do that. And, you know, because there's always somebody next to you that looks at it and goes, huh, that's art. I could do that. And I always I'm always left thinking, could you? Could you? Because <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. Right. Mark Rothko did, you know, and he paid a high price for being able to do that. He paid a high price for being able to do that because people say, oh, you know, if I can do it, it's not art. And it's like, well, I don't know. Um, but when you have a painting that's literally two two black squares on a red background. I don't think you can do that, mm-hmm. you know, and at the time it didn't cost thirty five million dollars, but it sure as shit does now. And what does that represent? That's so inspirational. It's like the audacity of it, um, the complexity of it, the fact that even before you knew who Mark Rothko was, before you knew his life, before you knew what he was trying to do, before you knew about modernism, before you knew about abstract expressionism, anything like that, before you knew about the context of the history in which it was painted, before you knew about post-war you know, artistic expressionism, whatever it might be, before you knew about the Dadaists, before you knew about any of this, <laughs> you're sitting there in this art museum staring at this big painting that is a, two black squares on a red background. 
why are you staring at that for two hours? You know, yeah. it does something to you. It moves through you in some way. And the simplicity of it crashes into the complexity of it, which side sidelines and sideswipes the audacity of it, mm-hmm. which hits up against the, well, this is what we have. This is it. And, you know, when you when somebody went back and, you know, and said, what what is what are these paintings about? What are these paintings about? You know, he said, you know, it, it's the tension of the universe. You know, mm-hmm. his biggest fear is that the the black wins. Yeah. On on the painting, it's like the, the the black swallows the red, and it's like, and your mind sort of blows up, and you you see the universe in this painting, and it's, but you know, somebody you know else comes up to it and looks at it for their first time, and they go, huh, it's a black square and a red background. It's like, is it? Is it? Is it? And it's it, it's wild. It's wild, you know. So Mark Rothko, I think, is inspirational. You know, it's such unbelievable emotional content and complexity coming out of something that is born of such such simplicity, such simplicity. Interesting. You know, um, I so I really. Will- I really have loved Mark Rothko's paintings for a really long time. I don't know. Sometimes I think I listen to you talk about him and I don't know if I ever tell you that I love him. I just let you like, you say what you got to say. Um, one of the things I love though. I get on a tear sometimes about Mark Rothko. And there's no stopping the train. Right? I'm just like, okay, let's let this happen. Let What's it, interesting you, you about Rothko. put the quarter in the machine. You got to let it play out. Yeah. That's right. I've seen this one before. No, but I. Uh, there is an enormity uh, to the experience of Rothko for me that I don't. I think one of the reasons I can easily just let you talk about him is because I don't like to talk about the experience of standing in front of Rothko because I don't, for someone who I kind of make my living with words and Rothko is a thing that I don't do well to put into words. Right, um, right, right. And part of it is because like, I think people spend so much time talking about what they see when they're standing in front of a Rothko painting. And I am a person that is overwhelmed by what I hear when I'm in front of a Rothko painting. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it could be a result of what happens in art galleries, but I am shocked uh, by how my eyes get so taken by what's before me that, that the room feels like it stands still and I don't hear anything. And that always sort of, uh, that has a way of just kind of like shutting everything up for me. And as a person who hears constant chaos in her head all the time, like, boy, something that can shut everything off. Damn, Rothko, I see what you did there. Yeah, I see Um, what you did. Yeah, so that's fair. Uh, and I think I'm babbling about this because I'm afraid that Paul's going to ask me who or what inspires oh, me. Oh, yeah, that's next. That's my next question, right? Yeah, it's like, so. so, Sherry, what do you think? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of one more. Um, uh, yeah, do that because then I don't have to talk. It's fine. I think we, we might Thomas, run out of time. There's Thomas, only 15. Yeah, it's fine. Thomas Keller, the chef. Maybe mm-hmm. Thomas Keller, right? Um and his his take on this, and he's not the first person to say this, but he might be one of the more modern, recent ones. Uh, 
chef, you know, owner of French Laundry in Napa, right? I don't know how they're doing these days in, mm. in pandemic life or not. I don't know. Uh, food's good, right? And his, his philosophy on, on food is use the best ingredients you can have and don't screw them up. You know, quality things kind of speak for themselves. And simple food done well in traditional ways. It's like, yep, that's the thing. That's the thing. You don't have to do anything fancy. You don't have to do anything complicated. You don't have to do anything you would even say is particularly new or or inventive. It's like do the best thing with the thing that you have. And there's nothing that could be literally better than that. You know, you want, and, and so, I mean, I, I went to one of his restaurants and not the French Laundry for economic reasons because I was a graduate student at the time. He has sort of a second second tier, I guess. You could call it a restaurant called Bouchon. Um, and uh, I think I had uh, a cheeseburger or something like that. And it was 28 bucks or whatever it might be. And it's like, my God, there's an In-N-Out burger down the street. You can get one for $4. It's like, yeah, but it's not a Thomas Keller cheeseburger. And it's like you use the best ingredients and you don't screw them up. And that is the, it's the ultimate expression of what, whatever that is could, could be because it was, it was true to itself. It was true to itself. And I think that's it. I mean, Mark Rothko, his, his paintings are pained, pained, uh, and angst ridden, and they are true to who he was. And Laird Hamilton struggles to get on that board. You don't see the, all the time he hits the water, but yes, you see the winds and they're extraordinary, but he will be more than forthright in telling you, you know, what it took to get there. He's true to himself in the struggle. Rich Roll the same way. Thomas Keller the same way. Miles Davis the same way. Um, and it's like, can you take the thing as it is and do it the best that it can be without screwing it up? Because you're trying to do something that it's not. I have a canvas and two colors of paint. Um, I have... A little garden out back that grows great stuff. What can I do? Um, I've got a surfboard. How can I? I got I got a surfboard, a jet ski. What can I do here? Um, I have a cap of a ballpoint pen, a vacuum, and uh, three bic pens. Can I? What What can I do? Says MacGyver. You know, and he and he does this thing, and it's. It's it's got its beauty, its simplicity, its creativeness. It's inspired because of the potential that was unseen in it before. That suddenly has been spun into art, or or something that has never existed before, or something new that's never been seen. I mean, jet skis and surfboards have been around for a long time before. Mm-hmm. Laird Hamilton did his thing. Paint was around for hundreds, thousands of years before Mark Rothko ever picked up a canvas and a, and a paintbrush. Food has been around for up. zillions of years before, you know, Thomas Keller ever got his hands on it on on a knife. Yet these things didn't exist until creative, inspired people got their hands on them. And once they did, um, look what we look what we got. It redefines the the craft. It redefines the craft. Mm-hmm. So Sherry, who do you think? <laughs> so Sherry, who inspires you? Right. So who? Ah, hmm. uh, I can say some names that you've mentioned in the past that might kick it off. Right. We talk about Banksy every once in a while. We... So I don't know if he's an inspiration or not. 
Yeah. I mean, so, so right. Like, there are lots of... There are lots of people that I could reference, right? So I could talk about Brene Brown. I could talk yeah, about right. uh, my one of my dearest mentors, Louise Weatherby Phelps. Um, I could talk about Anthony Bourdain. Mm. Mm-hmm. I could talk about uh, authors. Joan, a lot of times when opportunities to talk about this kind of thing i talk about my my two favorite Jonies, uh so joan didion and Joni mitchell um i could talk about a lot of individuals but i think inspiration for me inspiration isn't a fixed mark and so like i think i think part of what because i see synthesis as being such an important part of creativity i don't think i can point to resounding figures who will always be inspiration to me um because i think it really depends on what i'm trying to accomplish and like kind of where you started like who do i want to be today who i'm going to draw on for inspiration Mm -hmm. um And I think for me, inspiration, because of that, it can never be one person. And so it's always very community oriented. And so I actually think I get a lot of inspiration. This is going to sound so painfully cliche. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. But I get a lot of inspiration actually from my students and from teaching. Right. Um, because no place is there a better amount of synthesis than what happens when I'm in the classroom. Um, And I'm always amazed at how being with people outside of myself and just hearing the everyday experiences of humans doing the everyday stuff, not not the biggest and the greatest and the most amazing, right? But just the everyday people that choose to keep going despite their circumstances. For me, that's it. Um, but I also like where I get my ideas from. It's it's my people. Like it's my, you know, like we've talked about, like I have, you know, five to seven people that are my tribe. I don't like using that phrase anymore. Right. But, yeah, right. you know, they're right, my right. peeps, right? And uh, a lot of times that's where I get my greatest ideas from. It's, uh, it's from the synthesis of voices. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, kind of thinking back to like, because that number is like, where do I get my ideas from? And it's curious to me, not only what the ideas are, but when they happen. And mm-hmm. Everything that that I ever did that was a good idea to do always just seemed like the obvious. It's like, oh, wow, Paul, that's great. That's a great idea. It always just seemed like the next obvious thing to do. You know, it it was a great idea that was interesting and creative to everyone else, literally except me. And it was like, well, what else would you do with it? I mean, I don't feel like it was any active inspired creativity or or innovation it was like it was the obvious next thing to do how did i you know why didn't you think of this um so it it just seems like again it's this percept 
perception of this perception of like how does creativity and inspiration look from the outside versus how does it look from the inside and i think they're really different i think they're really different from each other well i th- yeah i mean i think that's true but they are I- in me anyway i think they are in me because it's like i just did the next obvious thing that's all he ever did well i think for me it's always just like the greatest ideas I have often come from a place of, I wonder what would happen if. Yeah. And the, the check down is, is anyone going to get hurt? No. Okay. Continue. <laughs> right? uh, is, how much does it cost? Uh, not a lot. Okay. You can keep going. Right. And then you can go down this checklist of, is this something you can actually sort of, sort of do? You know, and, and when I say it's the next, ob- I always did like the, just whatever it was, what was the next obvious thing. I I don't mean to shortchange myself by saying that, right? It, it feels like it was the next obvious thing to do, but it also did require some inspiration to do it. Right. And some inspiration to realize that something could be improved or there could be something that can done to make an experience even better. Or a novel thing that can open a new avenue of resources for students or whoever it might be. And I think that's that's where the inspiration and the, um, I don't want to say dedication, I think I will say discipline sort of comes off. Yeah. This, this discipline of let's keep, okay, keep going, keep going. Great, you did this thing. Now keep going. What's next? Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder how our individual processes speak into this because for you like you're so you're saying it just seemed to be the next right thing and I think this kind of resonates with like conversations where I've had where I where I will ask you questions and you'll be like well I'm not sure I really thought about it right like it just just seems like the next thing seems like the next thing to do I don't know I'm in the now right but like I will think about things for a really long time and I a lot of what my creativity is, is just thought experiments, right? Like I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it really is like, and so that's just very, very interesting. Like sometimes, like when I'm teaching, teaching feels intuitive to me. Yeah. Um. So in that I'm in the now and I'm like, what do my students need and what feels like the yeah. best next right step? Um. But for other creative work that I do, because I do consider teaching creative work oh for sure absolutely it is i agree totally yeah um a lot of my other stuff though it it doesn't come as i I don't know i think we're pushing up against the idea of flow to some extent here like when we're in flow you don't have to overthink it it's it kind of comes and intuition's a big part of it um but some of my better ideas i think they really just come to me as a result of time spent thinking and putting ideas together. Um, And I think this is where, so my brain, the way it tends to work, I have an obsessive personality. Um, And so I will get hung up on an idea and it will come to me and it will be on loop in my head and it will loop and it will loop and it will loop. And then eventually it will loop at the same time that another idea does. And then I'll see what happens when those two things are together. Interesting. Interesting. And that's when it feels like serendipity, but it's if 
from the outside, it's like, oh, she was thinking about these two ideas and look how quickly and beautifully they came together. But from the inside, it looks like I've been obsessed with this thing and I can't let it go. Why is it here? I don't know yet, but I have to deal with it until the reason for it. It it, it looks like creativity, but it feels like obsession. (laughs) Obsession. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not as great from the inside as it looks from the outside. Believe me, you know, it's it's actually kind of, kind of frustrating because uh, that that loops, it, it takes you over at the expense of other things. It does, yeah. And it's like, you know, going back to music at the beginning, like we think about the concept of an earworm. Like we get a song stuck in our heads and it's in our head and it just, it's on loop. Um, and th- we know that, lots of us know that to be true. And for me, it, it's not just earworms. It's, you know, I will read a line from a book and it will just stay in my head Mm -hmm. for years like i wrote a blog post at one point about this line from trouble on triton that was about was it meaningless or meaningful communication and that line has been on loop in my head since 2002 i think we have a podcast about that don't we we do yeah we do yeah um but yeah so it's it's kind of this weird thing um I think it sometimes I think it has a lot to do with how I was taught during graduate school to be a theorist. Um, so my approach to theory building is very much um, you might call it promiscuous. <laughs> it, it it is just like you take you take a whole bunch of things and you see what happens when you when you put them all together. Um, so I have this kind of idea that anything and everything can be inspiration. Right. So. Hmm. Interesting. So the Jones, we have the Jones as your inspirational muses. Anyone the else? Jones, indeed. Well, I mean, this this is the muse, isn't it? Right? Is this the whole muse conversation about who is the muse? Yeah. Well, so it's funny if pushed to to say who is my muse, the answer is Cake, the music, oh. the band. Cool, cool, cool. Um, so if I need to write and I need to force myself into writing. I will listen to the song Shadow Stabbing by Cake on loop until the writing comes. Mm. It's interesting how we pick the... I didn't pick that song. That song picked me. Yeah, the song picked you. Yeah, I was going to say we picked the song to do the thing, but it doesn't really work that way, does it? Because, you know, I've, I've had a task in front of me and I've thought, you know, music would help here. I put something on and I've said, well, that's not it. And it's got different music that's going to help me here. And mm-hmm. you, you kind of flip it around until you crash land on Jane's Addiction or something like that. And it's like, that's what I'm looking for. That scratches the itch, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked earlier, Sherry, about uh, permission to have an experience. You know, the permission to have experiences a failure and it's like you have to give yourself permission to like try things out that are new um why do you think people softball question why do you think which is code for fast pitch baseball question um a lot of times people get hung up there and i'm, I'm thinking about my poor students at this point um people get hung up there the first draft has to be perfect and you it's not it's when you don't give yourself permission to have an imperfect first draft or imperfect attempts that you end up not being able to cultivate the experiences that creativity and innovation require. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm, well, so it's perfectionism, right? Which is is the root of this problem. Um, and, you know, so I've known I was perfectionist for a really long time. I think I'm actually to the point where I would call myself as a, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Ooh. I think I'm there. Um, but I don't exactly know necessarily how a perfectionist gets made. Um, I think there might be some Enneagram theories on this subject, but, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I think it, it's sort of baked within that, that somewhere, you know, when I was interviewing Ian Mackay for my dissertation, uh, and I sort of alluded to this story, but I decided not to say, tell it earlier, but now I'll tell it. So Ian Mackay, who was, uh, he's the founder of Discord Records and also was in the bands Fugazi, Minor Threat, Embrace, among others. Uh, so he's in the evens now. And anyway, I will not talk about Ian further. It's pretty cool. Speaking, that you're... Of, <laughs> speaking of inspirations. Um, so when I interviewed Ian for my dissertation for a while, I was just like this walking, like everything. I was just like the gospel according to Ian. Yeah. Right. Uh, but one of the things he said when I was interviewing him was talking about punk rock and how punk, what kind of punk affords a culture. And one of the things that he really hates is that we got to this place where we made fun of culturally people who couldn't sing. And he talks about this, particularly in the context of these television programs where people go on like America's Got Talent or American Idol. Right. Yeah, and part right. of the the shockingly disturbing fun of that show is the schadenfreude of laughing at people who think they can sing, but they actually can't. Right, right, right. But the idea that there are good and bad singers, right, is sort of absurd in a lot of ways. Um, so I wasn't good at singing the first time I attempted it. Others within my community were better singers. Therefore, I got the idea that because I am not get naturally gifted at the thing, I should never do the thing again. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. Um, but some, like a lot of our early schooling, a lot of our early socialization is all about like figuring out what you're good at and what you're not, and then putting yourself in a little box and staying there forever. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is I end up with these students in my class who have these mythologies about themselves. I'm a bad writer. No, you're not. Right. Someone told right. you you were, right. but it's not a perpetual right. diagnosis. So all this to say, I think our culture our culture both tells us that we should embrace failure and penalizes us if we if we dare to allow ourselves to fail in public. Um, and so I think that there's a little bit of a boldness in being able to say, you know what, I'm going to try some things out and sometimes I'm going to suck and I'm just going to. You put it out there. Yeah. And the putting it out there is the is the key. Mm-hmm. Because what, what happens when you, I think you get caught into that into that mindset of I'm not good at something. So even though I enjoy it, I'm not going to put anything out there is that you literally don't put anything out there. And it's, it's never reviewed because you do watch American Idol and you see the abuse that comes your way when, when it's not the best Mm -hmm. by somebody's whoever that might be is measurement 
and you get stuck in that and you sort of wait to discover that thing that you're the best in the world at before you do anything. And the saddest thing I can think of is that you never find that. And therefore, nothing ever goes out there. And then he's like, God, what did you do? You know, what do you do what you love and throw it out there? And who cares? You know, and it's it ain't about everybody else. It's about you. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's it's so interesting how like the social what we tell people in society is so strong and like yeah so first of all i would say that within this whole world of music the number of people that i can think of who have terrible voices and who are successful musicians who are female is incredibly small Hmm. but the number of dudes who are out there putting out (laughs) records who really honestly have like the worst voices ever like isn't that interesting? Um, so pointing to that, but also like thinking about one of my inspirations, right? Joni Mitchell. Uh-huh. Joni Mitchell uh-huh. is considers herself an artist. And by that, I mean a painter. Mm. And she makes music. Most people think of her as a musician. And if you look into what she had to do to both fight to be the musician that she is and the criticism she received for trying to be that musician, as well as the reception she's received for for her artwork, right? Like, she's my inspiration in part because she is boldly herself despite the feedback that society gives her. So I think it's incredibly risky to put yourself out there. Is it? Is it? What is it? What is it risky to? Because, I mean, I think about it. The times I've put things out there, it feels risky. You know, it really does. And I've I've put I've put things out there before that have worked out, and I've put things out there before that didn't. I lived through both, but there's this overwhelming angst, fear, judgment, self perception, ego, all gets tied up into everything that you put out there because they're they're like your babies, you know, they're your your babies that you live to the world that you leave to the world, and to see them kind of beaten up out there it's like the wins are are yours and so man so are the losses and you you feel them deeply when when they don't always always work out but the alternative is to not put anything out there and and you don't know which is worse um you don't know which is worse but it's it's hard to it it takes guts it takes Mm -hmm. guts and um, you, it, it's hard to put things out there knowing that not everyone is going to love something. And it makes you wonder why you're putting things out there to begin with. Why do you want somebody else to see what you're doing? Why do you want somebody, you, you do this thing that you love and you want to show somebody. 
That's what it is, you know, and that's primal. You know, I think the first thing that that somebody who painted uh, something on the wall of a cave in Europe 80,000 years ago, the first thing that they actually said was, you know, hey, check this out. You know, you grab somebody else to look at it. Because like, hey, man, check what I did, man. That's awesome. Um, hey, man, look what I just did here. I just wrote this. When you when you were read it here, Sherry, and I just recorded this podcast. Do you want to listen? Here, I just painted this black square in this red background. Check it out. Hey, I just, you know, I just wrote the song. You want to listen? And, you know, there's something about expressions of self that are reified into the into the physical world that you want to show people. And we we hope that feedback is positive you, you hope it moves somebody in the way that it moves you mm-hmm. you hope that it somebody sees that and says huh well that's cool that's interesting neat um and, and and questions come up that foster some sort of ingenuity or creativity inspiration in them if nothing else than just appreciation for the amount of work that went into it and um the way you took some things that didn't necessarily relate that you related mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's like, I don't know, what are you talking about? It's like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a black square and a red background. I don't see anything here. And it's like, well, that's cool. Um, but that stuff, uh, those, those knives go deep when you, (laughs) when you hear that stuff sometimes. Uh, Mm -hmm. well, I mean, I think, I think all this speaks to like what inspiration really is, right? Like inspiration what that thing that we're talking about this episode is it really is it what is the catalyst that causes a person to do something i think that's what inspiration is yeah will to power uh you want to make the world a better i mean it's any answer you come up with is this big esoteric in the atmosphere it's almost grandiose kind of thing, you know, that yeah. either speaks to primal instinct or universal good in one way or another, you know. But there's another uh, more local answer to it where it just feels good. You know, it feels good. Mm-hmm. Inspiration feels good. Neurologically in your brain, you like to feel like you're doing something. It mm-hmm. feels like progress. Right. I mean, this is why we have inspirational speakers where we go and we get that that boost, right? We have inspirational yeah. posters. Um, but I, you know, those things maybe are cheap substitutes, right? For the real, the real catalyst. Yeah, but. right. Right. And, you know, I take a little bit of an issue with this and I might invite controversy by saying this, Dr. Spiegel. Oh. Um, be the change you want to see in the world. It's like I have to do something that the world is going to see. It's like I have to, you know, I have to do something so big that it's global and nothing less than that is worth doing. Um, And I I appreciate the message behind the statement, oftentimes attributed to Gandhi, but I can't believe that he was the first person to actually voice something like that. Um, But it's like the world it's like so i have to do something that's global in scale i'm not big enough to do that how could i ever possibly do that i'm a failure you know so that that sort of messaging of that everything you do has to have these great big global implications you need to have a million followers on instagram you have to have this many downloads you have to be in this art museum you have to do everything you do that has value has to be huge but is is the myth that paralyzes the world but even that i would say like 
uh, the challenge, like if you want to receive a quote like that, like do it on your own terms, right? Like, okay, be the change you want to see in the world. Okay, whose world? Yeah, and your world is local. Yeah. Your world is your neighborhood. Um, your world is your block. And I make this argument because that basically challenging the notion of the world word world is how I open my dissertation. Mm. Boom. Cool, cool, cool. Um, See, I did not know that. And we stumbled across that. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, because sort of the whole of my dissertation is actually inspired uh, by the work of Boniface Mwangi, uh, mm-hmm. who is a Kenyan street photographer turned social activist. Uh, and he said he, well, newspaper articles had talked about him changing the world and his goal was only ever to change his own world. Mm. Uh, specifically, like, life for the people of Nairobi, right? Yeah. Uh, right. So, right. yeah. I always think that, you know, don't take other people's inspirational quotes. Turn them into your own thing. Yeah, like, for sure. Or come up with your own inspirational quotes. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I've ever actually done that myself. I throw that out there as a directive. It's like, hey, folks, come up with your own inspirational quotes. I have no idea how to do that, and I've never done it myself. Except, <laughs> like, go back no and listen to all this. our podcasts. Like, Paul has a whole set of his own, like, motivational Paul talks. I do, right? What, what is mine? Never believe anything your mind says in the middle of the night. That's my motivational talk. It's like, yeah. I'm not or, you know, look at the T-shirt your students gave you. Yeah, I love you and everything is going to be okay. You know, that's my motivational talk right there. Yeah, it's um, there. Yeah. It's there. So, uh, we should let these people go. Inspiration. It was a good one. This was uh, a good one. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I've been I've been thinking about it all day. Yeah, it's it just, funny. It's, you just, just sprung came this to me. one on me. Yeah, it just came to me too because this morning it was like, uh, inspiration is the thing. We got to talk about it. And where does stuff come from? And I whatever. would like our listeners to know that the subject of inspiration was inspired by Paul making zucchini bread. Zucchini bread. Yeah. Um, what it was I inspired by? Bananas that were about to go bad and two zucchini we had to use. <laughs> so it's like, welp. Looks like we're doing zucchini bread, and uh, let's let's do the best we can with what we got, and this is what comes out of it. And I will say that it is really tasty. So uh, awesome! It's a win, you know. Win. And the only one that has to agree with that is me and uh, the occupants of of my, my 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 domicile here. And so far, I have glowing reviews. Well done. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Awesome chat, Sherry. Yeah, indeed. Uh, thanks for giving us the inspiration. Oh, yeah. You know, it's sort of a cheap fix. It's like, what inspires me today? Oh, let's just talk about inspiration in general. What inspires us to inspirate? You know, the word inspiration, right? You know, that the, the roots of that is inspire. Um, you know, if you think about what, it, what inspire means, it's, it's to breathe in, you're breathing in. Like conspire, you're breathing together with somebody else to inspire, to have inspiration. You're breathing mm-hmm. in this stuff. You know, you're breathing in something that is going to move you into action in one way or another. To conspire, to have a conspiracy, is you're doing that with others. Um, uh, well, root words, Paul. Root, root words mean things. That's all I'm going to say. So, 
You know, but you don't have to tell me. But it is always a pleasure to conspire with you. It is a pleasure to conspire with you too, Dr. Spiegel. And I'm inspired by our conspire. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Thanks, Paul. Cool. And thank you, uh, Sherry. And thank you, listeners, uh, for listening. And uh, check out the website and our socials. If you ever want to see any cool stuff, you can support us on Patreon. we got a couple of things going on uh, these days that you might like. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Cool. Cool. See you. Bye-bye. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Paul and Sherry have a podcast. Podcast, yes. Yes.